All right, so by now you should be in Revelation chapter 19. I think you already know what's coming. We're at the end of the Bible. Uh, but for those who are visiting with us this morning or have not engaged with us in the last, well, it's, it's 18 weeks now in this study, looking to Jesus, we have two more studies that we're going to formally look at this topic, looking to Jesus. As we acknowledge, every single Sunday morning, that is our goal, to look to Jesus. This is simply, though, a highlighted study. The last 18 weeks, going on 19. And here's the point. As Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, as God, through His servant in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, exhorts us, through times of unrest, times of uncertainty, times of doubt and discouragement, and yes, disgust, what are we to do? We just prayed it. We're to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. So, in other words, fix your eyes on Jesus and don't ever, 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 ever take your eyes off Jesus. That's what we're talking about. So for the last 18 weeks, wow, we took some break for Thanksgiving, Christmas, but we're taking snapshots of Jesus Christ, encouraging our souls in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so here today, we are towards the end of our Bibles, the climax of our Bibles, and we, we have the privilege today to look at this key idea. As our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on Jesus, and what about Jesus are we going to highlight today? Here it is. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. So hold on. Here it comes. This is the scriptures. I was thinking about the best way to jump into this today, and, and I, my mind went back to when I was a sophomore, j junior in, in high school. And God led me, I don't remember how this happened, but I happened to hear a sermon. It was a six-minute sermon, which is a really good length for me as a junior in high school. But it's one of the most dynamic sermons I've ever heard. Uh, I played this, actually, when we were studying through Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to play it again today. Because God used this in such a dynamic way in my life to realize that Jesus Christ does not want to just be acknowledged as like my Savior, the one who died on the cross for me. Jesus is to be the Lord of my life. Every decision that I make is to realize that Jesus is more important. Jesus is Lord. This is preached by a, a fella, pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California. Uh, his name was S.M. Lockridge. Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge. This guy preached this sermon. He had a movement with um, a powerful movement uh, preaching about Jesus as King. And this is just an excerpt of this, excerpt of this. And I'm going to play this this morning and hopefully it comes across all right. The Bible says, My King is a King of the Jews. He's a King of Israel. He's a King of righteousness. He's a King of the ages. He's a King of heaven. He's a King of glory. He's a King of kings. And He's the Lord of lords. That's my King. I wonder, do you know Him? My King is a sovereign King. No means of measure can define His limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. 
merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Brothers and sisters, that's my king. That's your king. This is King Jesus we're talking about. This is what the scripture is all about. And I want us to read about this in Revelation chapter 19 this morning. As an old man, John was given a glimpse by God into the end of the present age. Through the Spirit, here's how. He expresses it in Revelation chapter 19. We'll talk of this in a minute, but if you would just follow along as I read verses 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns or diadems or ribbons of royalty. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. 
And the armies of heaven arrayed, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, here he has a name written. What is that name? King of kings and Lord of lords. What did we just read? Brothers and sisters in Christ, this really could be considered the the climax of the Bible. Revelation 19 and 20 is the end of this powerful book where we read about the eternal King, Jesus, conquering the imposter King, Satan, and setting up his true kingdom. Here's what we just read. With his heavenly armies, we're talking about believers in Jesus from all ages, brothers and sisters in Christ, you, me. Guess what? Whether you like horseback riding or not, you're going to get a white horse. Here we go. The armies of heaven, believers in Jesus of all ages, Jesus returns with them to win, to conquer, to rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. So where is this? This is at the end of your Bibles. But the king concept is, is just, isn't just at the end of your Bibles. I want us to think for a couple minutes today, and actually about 15 of these minutes. I want us to think about how this king concept is developed through your Bible. There's a lot of Bible before we get to Revelation. So how is this king concept developed? Well, in a general sense, as we put our thinking caps on, we need to realize something very clearly. God the Father is king. When we use the term king, we're talking about the supreme lord, the supreme master, the supreme ruler. That's what we're talking about. Because He is the sovereign of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all life, God the Father is referred to regularly as God Almighty who is sitting on His what? Throne. So in a very general sense, an obvious sense, God Almighty is King. He's ruler. He's supreme. As you go through scriptures, though, in a a more specific sense, as God's redemptive plan is unpacked and, and unfolded for us, we realize very quickly that God the Son is referred to in scripture more specifically as King. How is this? How is God the Son, Jesus Christ, the the great God-man, the Messiah, how is He described as King? Well, I want us to go way back. We're talking not just about creation. Go beyond creation of the world. There was another creation that happened. Think about this. In Scriptures, God was a creator God before the world was created. What do I mean? What beings did He create? He created angels. Think about this with me. Let's just go back in our minds and think about this. 
At some point in eternity past, God chose to create beings known as angels. Psalm 148.5, other texts you can go to. You know the story, but of all the created angels, the most beautiful, gifted, attractive angel was whom? Lucifer. Lucifer became proud and attempted to assume the throne that was reserved for his sovereign creator. If you want to read about this pride in Lucifer's life, read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Along with a third of the angelic order whom he had deceived, Satan was cast out of heaven. At this point in eternity past, we don't know exactly when this happened, but at this point in eternity past, when after God had created angels and after Satan had rose up in pride, deceived a third of the angelic order, even before the creation of the world, Satan was set up as the imposter rival ruler to the true sovereign king. Well, sometime after that event, what happened? God Almighty sovereignly created the entire universe. God Almighty was clearly established as the sovereign ruler over His created universe. Now, in the history of the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, think about this. What comes next? You know it. What comes in the Garden of Eden? That's known as the fall. Talking about the saddest day in all of human history. In the Garden of Eden, the imposter ruler, disguised as a serpent, deceived Eve, and subsequently Adam chose to bow to the imposter's godless temptation. By deceiving God's prized creation and then subsequently destroying the full beauty of God's sinless creation, the imposter king had waged war against the true king, Almighty God. That's in the beginning of your Bible. From then on, even though the imposter was under the direct control of Almighty God, and we need to acknowledge that, the battle was on. All right, Genesis 3 of our Bibles we need to go to often. You don't need to turn there now, just reference it, Genesis 3. Because this is what's known as the first rendering of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ in our Bibles. All right, what happens there? Well, in Genesis 3.15, the true ruler of the universe promised something. And he didn't promise it to Adam and Eve necessarily. He promised it to whom? Satan, Lucifer, what did he promise? He promised to crush his head. God Almighty promised to crush the head of the imposter ruler. And now let's keep our thinking caps on. How is this crushing going to happen? It's going to be through the seed of a woman. In other words, this crushing is going to happen through a human being. It's not going to be someone of the angelic order that's going to come crush the head of Satan. It is going to come through a human being. God would send a human rescuer, the Messiah, to defeat and destroy the imposter king and set this all right. Amen. 
All right, so through the next 4,000 years, human kings rose and fall, fell. Good kings came and went. Bad kings came and went. None of them were the rescuer kings. Think about this. God established his plan through his people, through Abraham, his people known as Israel. God even allowed through his sovereign plan Israel to set up this dynasty. And what we see is fail, 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 fail. God would set up, allow this, this, this dynasty to be set up, but none of these people, none of these human kings were the rescuer king, the forever rescuer king who would crush the head of Satan. But we need to kind of rewind back a little bit because our interest is perked when it comes to one king. What's his name? King David. Think about this. Obviously Jesus, right? We think about King Jesus. But think about this human king. We're going back now and we see King David. King David, who was a man after God's own heart. King David, a real man who lived and struggled. King David, who wanted to do something significant for God. So he said, I want to build you a house, God. And God said, nope, that's not going to happen. But I will tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build for you a dynasty for my glory. 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you want to highlight that in your Bibles, we see this beautiful account and more information given from the prophet Nathan to David. God promised that the true rescuer king would in fact come through David's line. David's dynasty. The true king. The forever king. The rescuer king. The one that would crush the head of Satan would come through David's line. So now we have this massive clue in our Bibles. The rescuer's coming, the rescuer king is going to be through the line of David. Prophecies were about this. In fact, you know one of the prophecies, we talk about it almost every Christmas. Listen to the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Because he gives us another clue from God Almighty. You know what Isaiah does? He says, not only is this king... The rescuer king, going to be of the seed of a woman. In other words, he's going to be human. Guess what else? He's going to be God Almighty. He's going to be man and God. In our theology, this is known as the great God-man. 100% God, 100% man at the same time in order that he might 100% rescue. That's the theology of the Bible. Well, Isaiah talks about this. In this beautiful passage in Isaiah 9, he says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. Verse 7, Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Amen. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. This is cool. The Lord of armies. 
He will do this. Amen. So what's just happened? As we think through this, this story of our Bibles, we've, we're finding clues about this king. It's going to come from the seed of a woman. This king is going to come from David's line. This king is not only going to be human, he's going to be God. And so in our minds we're thinking, well, how is that going to happen? Just like any reasonable person who followed after the Torah. The Tanakh, as we talked about last week. They're looking for this rescuer king, but who is he and how is this going to look? A couple, what about a month and a half ago, we looked at the life of Mary, and I don't know if you caught this, but I'd love to read again Luke chapter 1, 32 and 33, because this child that was promised to Mary, listen to the specific wording that's used to Mary. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. By the way, we'll get to your notes in about an hour. Just joking. We're, we're, we'll get to them. Luke chapter 1. Kids, I was just joking, by the way. Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33. To Mary, here's the promise. He, Jesus, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So what do we have here as we transition from the Old Testament in our Bibles into the New Testament of our Bibles? Jesus is the forever king. He's the forever rescuer. Promised in the garden. Promised through all of the covenants of the Old Testament. Jesus is the great God-man. The only way this can happen is that God Almighty provided for us a God-man. And that God-man is in the person Jesus Christ. Jesus, the perfect God-man, was and is the forever rescuer king. Let us never forget that. So maybe right now in your mind, though, you're saying, well, that was 2,000 years ago. What happened? Jesus, the promised rescuer king. And our world looks like this now? Well, you know the story. We'll quickly recap this. This is what's known, by the way, as biblical theology. It's the unpacking of the story of the Bible, the big picture of the Bible. Let's see what's happening. What happens? As prophesied also by Isaiah other Old Testament prophets, Jesus, King, and King Jesus, was initially rejected. Okay, if you want to really take this back to Genesis, you can see that this rejection comes, and the, his, bruise was, his, bruise was, his heel was bruised. That's what I'm trying to say. His heel was bruised. In order to conquer the deception and destruction of the imposter king, King Jesus was to be slain for the sins of the world. He was to wear the crown of thorns. King Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, must first come as the servant lamb of God. As he served on this earth, King Jesus experienced the brokenness of this world. 
King Jesus taught that his kingdom was not like one of this world. King Jesus taught that his kingdom ethics were radically different than one you might expect. Last week we walked through Matthew. Go back and see in Matthew how Jesus clearly identifies kingdom ethics. What does his kingdom look like? People of his kingdom were to function radically different than the kingdoms of this world. King Jesus taught and showed love. King Jesus showed love to the unlovely and grace to the ungracious. Ultimately, King Jesus experienced human death in order that he might conquer human death. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is the gospel. King Jesus experienced human death that he might conquer human death. The great God-man, Jesus Christ, experienced man's death that he might reign victorious over it. King Jesus conquered sin and death and ascended to heaven as we read through the Gospels of our Scriptures. To heaven to wait for the ordained time for His return. If you want to write down another passage, 1 Timothy 6.16 says, that time's coming, that ordained time. The ordained time when He will come. We learned a little bit about that last week. The bridegroom will come at His time. All right, let's summarize all of this in our minds. The first coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. And and I'm not going to put all the pieces of the puzzle together eschatologically or the end times together in our theology. We're just going to simply acknowledge the fact that King Jesus is coming. To summarize this in our minds, through His first coming, King Jesus set up what might be known as the spiritual kingdom. Through His second coming, King Jesus will bring about the full expression of a physical kingdom. Here's a good way to think of it. Already, but not yet. Jesus Christ has already set up for His kingdom, but the full expression of the kingdom is not yet here in full. It's coming. King Jesus is returning. Through His first coming, Jesus, King Jesus, set up a present spiritual kingdom that should be lived out practically. Catch this. King Jesus set up a present spiritual kingdom that should be lived out practically every day by His followers. We're talking about a a spiritual kingdom that is consumed with the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about a spiritual kingdom that is characterized by selfless service like Jesus. We're talking about a spiritual kingdom that courageously opposes the works of the flesh and battles daily the works of the flesh. We're talking about a spiritual kingdom that passionately waits for Jesus to come. That's the spiritual kingdom that God, that Jesus Christ, the great God-man, has set up. But then through His second coming, brothers and sisters, this is future. This is what we're waiting for. It's coming. King Jesus will bring about the full expression of His kingdom on this earth. King Jesus will fully deal with sin. Will fully conquer the imposter king. And will set all of this nonsense right. He will set it right. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through His second coming, which will happen at His proper time, 
King Jesus will prove to all what we already know in the Bible. That he is King of kings and Lord of lords. So this morning, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the king that has been, the king theology has been developed all the way through the Bible. As we fix our eyes on this king, this coming king, Jesus Christ, let's encourage ourselves by some of the biblical details about this king. The next 15 minutes or so, I want us to take time to dial in in our memories what the Bible says about this king. Some simple facts, ones we've probably known since we're little critters. Nonetheless, let's remind ourselves about this king, King Jesus. By the way, this is a good time, I think. Our brother Carson, would you stand up for a minute? He wore a special sweater today. Can you turn around? Let's see the front real quick. Jesus is God. Look at the side. King Jesus. I love it. Every time I'm looking down at my brother, I'm thinking about this. He He wore a motivational sweater for me today, so thank you, Carson. All right, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, let's be encouraged by some of the biblical details of this King of Kings, starting with this one. As the King of Kings, Jesus will rule as supreme over all authorities. Not some authorities, not most authorities, all authorities. Jesus will supremely rule over all other kings. Okay, this is sort of one of those obvious, no-brainer statements. But nonetheless, we need to acknowledge it in the Scripture. This is clearly established by John in the first statements of Revelation. So we've been reading the last part of Revelation. In the first statements of Revelation, how is this, how is this said? John says this, Jesus, through the Spirit, he says this, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. Flat out, there it is. He is the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ is clearly through the scriptures designated as ruler of the kings of earth. Of all the kings, of all the presidents, and all the monarchs, and all the royals, whatever you want to put there, all of them on this earth, through all of human history, Not a single one of them holds a candle to the forever rescuer king, King Jesus. Listen to how this is described in Revelation chapter 17. It's also, I believe, on the back of your handout. Revelation 17, 14. They, starts off with the word they. Who's that they? It's referring to the ten unified tribulation kings who serve under Satan and the beast and the Antichrist. And the summarization of all that's happening at the end. They will make war on the Lamb. And then this dynamic statement that we need to hold on to and take it to the bank. And the Lamb will conquer them. (laughs) I love that. The Lamb's going to conquer them. Why? For He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. I mean, that's one of those verses you can write on your refrigerator and leave it up there until you die. 
or he comes. The most powerful kings of the earth in John's vision cannot come close to conquering the forever king because he dynamically is Lord of lords and king of kings. In the passage we started off, Revelation 19, I just want to reference one verse again. Describing the conclusion of the great tribulation and actually the second coming, the actual when, when uh, Jesus not just meets his uh, people in the air, but actually when he comes back. Describing the conclusion of this great tribulation and his second coming, listen to how Jesus is described in Revelation 19. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Okay, what's the clear point of the scripture here? Clearly in the history of the world, not a single world authority or power or sovereign or royalty or president or king is exempt from the kingship of Christ. He is Lord over all of them. All through human history. All right, let's make one other quick point here. As the king of kings, Jesus will be worshipped. By all. So I dialed in just a minute ago on all of the rulers of the world. I want us to expand that a little bit. It's not just all the rulers of the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ, friends. We're talking about every human being ever to be born into this world. will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. The kingship of Jesus Christ. You say prove it. Great. Philippians chapter 2. We studied through this last year, but it's undeniable in Philippians chapter 2. A people who knew a little bit, a lot of bit, as many of them are Roman citizens, they knew a lot of bit about authority structure. Listen to what Paul says to this church after he lays out the servant lamb, Jesus Christ, ministering the gospel. Here's how he concludes his paragraph. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, this is not a possibility. This is a dynamic certainty. Every knee will bow to Jesus, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's in our Bibles. Yes, even the most ardent atheist will bend the knee to Jesus. Yes, even that classmate that curses the existence of an almighty God. Their tongue will confess the lordship of Jesus Christ. Yes, even the most intelligent cult leader or religious leader that tries to reason away Jesus. He will bow the knee. Yes, even... Politicians. Amen. Friends in California. Governor Gavin Newsom is going to bow the knee to Jesus. Amen. Nancy Pelosi is going to bow the knee to Jesus. Amen. Joe Biden's going to bow the knee to Jesus and confess with his mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Vice President Harris, she's going to bow the knee to Jesus. 
All right. <laughs> Revelation chapter 5, verse 13, very clearly says this in Revelation. We find a, a glimpse into the throne room of heaven in chapters 4 and 5. And I love this. John, through the Spirit, he gets this glimpse of the throne room and he says, And I heard every creature. Would, would you circle that word every? I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. I mean, you can't include anything else. All right, aliens aren't part of this. All right, everyone everywhere saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The point is simple in the scriptures. At one point in the future, I presume very soon, my friends, not one single knee will be able to resist bowing to the Lordship of Christ. Not one single tongue will be able to resist confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As King of Kings, Jesus will supremely rule over all other kings. As King of Kings, Jesus will be worshipped by all. I want us to look, dial in on, on one other aspect of this King of Kings this morning. As King of Kings, Jesus will reign forever. Amen. In a technical sense, this point doesn't distract from the reality of Revelation 20 that that Jesus will reign as physical king for a thousand years, however you are inclined to interpret that. There's probably a lot of different ideas here. This point, though, is to acknowledge that Jesus will reign in some aspect forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is not a flash-in-the-pan king. He's not one term and done. This king will rule and reign forever and ever. Jesus' kingship has no expiration date to it, brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> Listen to how the psalmist describes this. And, and I know we kind of dial in back to this thought of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son. Nonetheless, the psalmist describes this in Psalm 10, verse 16. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from this land. But don't ever forget that the Lord is king forever and ever. I love how, going right back to what God Almighty said through his servant, his prophet Nathan, to David. Listen, how, listen to the promise David was given. 2 Samuel 7, 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In our minds, as we put all of our very clean eschatological thoughts together in our end-time theology, we kind of relegate this thought to Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years. Okay, technically, maybe. But I don't think you can ignore the rest of the Bible that tells us that He's going to reign and rule forever and ever and ever and ever. King Jesus has no expiration date on His reigning and ruling. In fact, how does Paul say it in 1 Timothy chapter 1? And I love this. Timothy is consumed with the fact that God Almighty could save a wretched soul like his. Which, by the way, I don't know how many of you in this room, but there's times in my week that I can't contain those tears. 
thinking about the fact that God saved a wretched soul like mine. And what was, what was Paul's response? First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, he breaks out in this chorus, this anthem, this doxology, and here it is. Now to the King eternal, the one who saved my soul, he says, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You can't disguise that in any way. This Jesus who saves our soul is going to rule and reign forever and ever. This King Jesus' reign will not expire. So what? You came this morning to listen to a fired up preacher. I, I haven't been able to contain this all week. I've been so stoked about talking about the kingship of Jesus. But I, I want to ask you this. And just make this very, very practical. Have you submitted to the kingship of Christ? What I mean is the same as what S.M. Lockers just preached in that little excerpt. I wonder, do you know him? Do you know my king? Have you submissively repented from your sin to walk in newness of life for King Jesus? I'm saying this in a very general sense, but there are people in each one of these chairs here today. There's elementary school students. My friend, child, have you submitted to Jesus, King Jesus? There's teenagers in this room. Have you submitted to Jesus? Have you submitted to King Jesus? Young adults in this room, have you submitted to King Jesus? Midlife, older adults, older, older adults, have we all submitted to King Jesus? I have to read this passage. God Almighty is not going to let me get through this sermon without reading this passage. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus teaching his kingdom ethics, teaching about his coming, teaching about, teaching about those who in some superficial way will acknowledge him as Lord and follow him around and enjoy what he does. What does Jesus say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Friends, salvation is not adding Jesus to your life. It is making Jesus your life. Amen. All by God's grace. You can't manipulate that. It is all of God's grace. Please understand this. You cannot be saved without at some point humbly submitting yourself to Jesus Christ. Actually, this is the biblical definition of true faith. So if you really want to get technical, let's talk about what true faith is. It is this. I'm really not trying to lead into some heavy debate. 
There's been plenty of that in the last 40 years on the Lordship of Christ. I'm not ignoring biblical grace. Now that pastor is just standing up there ignoring biblical grace. No, I'm not. Let's really truly define what biblical grace is. Let's start there. I'm not teaching an exaggerated view of lordship salvation that implies work salvation. I'm not. I'm not implying some sort of sinless perfection that doesn't require daily growth and battling of your flesh. But I am talking about true submissive faith from a true heart change that only the Spirit can produce. That's what I'm talking about. So have you submitted to the kingship of Jesus in your life? If not, would today be the day? Would you come to Jesus today? For those sitting there today who have submitted to Christ in saving faith, let me ask you this. Are you daily submitting to the Christ as King? To Christ the King? Today and tomorrow and the next day, even Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and coming back next Sunday having submitted to Jesus Christ, battling to submit to Jesus Christ every single day of our lives. Are you daily loving Jesus more than the lust of your flesh? The lust of your eyes and the pride of life, as John himself mentions. Are you daily loving Jesus and submitting to King Jesus more than the world, the flesh, and the devil? Are you daily submitting to King Jesus by daily submitting to that book on your lap, the Bible? Are you daily submitting to the kingship of Christ more than you are submitting to that ungodly friendship in your life? Those ungodly words and gestures that plague you. Those ungodly websites. Are you submitting to Jesus more than that? Are you submitting to the kingship of Christ more than you are submitting to that ungodly social media addiction that ungodly substance addiction in your life that won't take its fangs out of you? Will you submit to the kingship of Jesus Christ in your life this week by His Spirit? Last question to consider today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are we fixing our eyes on Christ the King? This is the whole point of this entire study the last 18 weeks. Through all of the nonsense of the world around us, are your eyes fixed on King Jesus? Oh, what a week it was trying that, wasn't it? Sure, we fight for the truth. Sure, we stand strong as patriots of the United States of America in the way that you feel led. But have you taken your eyes off of a political party and put them on the King of Heaven? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As our faith is tested, we must fix our eyes on Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So I pray, God, that you would give us grace. The only way that all of this is fleshed out is through your spirit doing his dynamic work in our hearts. And I pray, God, that your spirit would be alive in our hearts, that your spirit would Drive us to obedience every single day. 
God, there are some here today that have never submitted to the Lordship of Christ, the kingship of Jesus in their own lives. They've never come to you in true faith. I pray, God, that today would be that day. They would bow the knee to Jesus. I pray for that child right now, that teen, that young adult who's debating in their minds. Help them to submit themselves to the lordship, the kingship of Jesus in their lives. God, I pray for all of us here who have come to you in saving faith that we would daily grow, that we would battle for King Jesus in our own hearts every single day. As Paul says, we'd battle the flesh. We'd fight with all we've got. And then, God, I pray that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, who's coming. He's coming, as we read in Revelation 19, to set all of this right. To come as the King of kings and Lord of lords. To fully establish His kingdom on earth. God, I pray that you please overwhelm our hearts with this thought. Let us go home and meditate on this. Maybe even to some sense agonize over this. But overall to find great encouragement. As Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, comfort one another with these words. Let us find comfort in your work of grace in our hearts and the coming of King Jesus. Friends, this morning with your heads bowed maybe for a couple more minutes, just your eyes closed. Would you pray that God would give you the grace to daily submit to the kingship of Jesus in your life? Is Jesus more important to you than that acceptance, addiction? Is Jesus more important to you than that friend? Is Jesus more important to you than that job or that that sport? The beauty of the life of Christ lived out through us is that we can now live the Lordship of Christ in the daily menial tasks. As we open up our computers, we can live for King Jesus on our computers. As we go to school, we can live for Jesus at school. As we go to work, we can live for King Jesus at work. As we go to the sports field, we can live for Jesus on the sports field. There may be some here today that have never come to Jesus Christ in saving faith. Would today be that day?